Which do you think would be more of a problem to live with? Five semi-feral Siamese or one raccoon? Oh. Probably the raccoon. I bet a raccoon is so much trouble. And they have Oh, because the fingers. They could like open doors and stuff. (laughs) Yes. They could disassemble small machines. Yes. Mm -hmm. Did you know that tortoises can feel it when you pet their shells? Really? (laughs) Oh, that's pretty cool. So go pet a tortoise. Yeah. Seek out a tortoise that you can pet. But gently. Gently. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No tapping or thumping on the shell. Yeah, no knocking. Mm. No knocking. (laughs) Just give it a nice pet. Right. Hello and welcome to Good-Looking People in Small Clever Rooms that utilize every centimeter of available space with mind-boggling efficiency. I'm Andrew and I'm here with Brianna. Hello. And as always, we're joined by my mom, Norma. Hello. And by our friend, Vinny. Hello. Episode by episode, we're reading Infinite Jest and this section is action-packed. But first... Oh? Survey. Plus or minus 3% sample. Scholarly academic study. Chamber of Commerce survey. Concerned Veterans Group systematic inquiry. Consumer advocacy polling operation. Three percentage points error on either of two sides of the issue. Consumer advocacy group opinion sweep. Very little time involved. Government study. Ad council demographic assessment sweeps. Random anonymity. Minimum in terms of time or trouble. What do you miss, please? Please list what you miss. Pine, yearn, winsome, nostalgia, lump of throat, wistful as well. Um, I miss being able to sit in a coffee shop and just stay there for hours and hours and let somebody else DJ my life. Oh, I miss that too. Oh, Mm -hmm. man. Boy, do I ever. (laughs) Yeah. I miss that a lot. Yeah. I miss just being able to go to a coffee shop and write. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I miss going anywhere and just being able to dilly-dally around and spend time <laughs> yeah. poking around. I was I found myself at Whole Foods on Thanksgiving morning because King Supers couldn't fill my order completely. And I went at like right when they opened and there was hardly, there were almost no shoppers in the store yet. And I felt like Alice in Wonderland or something wandering around and looking at stuff and doing random choosing of items that I didn't really need, but like I'd forgotten that we're out there in the world. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, so, you know, I like to go thrift shopping and things like that. Just poke oh, yeah. around for nothing in particular and see if there's, and I haven't done that for Eight months? Nine months? How many months? I don't oh, know. Oh, before you were born. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and I miss, like, little road trips to see my children who mm. live far away, but yeah. who are within striking range and going and bothering them for a few days and then driving home. Yeah. Miss that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yes. I think that concludes this survey. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Okay. Um, what will this information be used for? 
it's going to be used for consumer advocacy group opinion sweep, government study, ad oh. council demographic assessment. Ah, uh, yes, of course. Thank yeah. you. Thank Plus you. or minus 3%. Thank you. Do you need my signature, my autograph? No, thank you. Uh, <laughs> Are you sure? I'm sure. Uh, so let's uh, let's talk about this scene. This is like, we just kind of have, is it two scenes? We just have two two scenes in the reading. Yeah, I think so. And this first one with Oren and the survey is definitely, I would say, the less eventful, maybe less interesting one to me. I don't know. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I thought it was, you guys always talk about things that are in this book that are very cinematic, and I thought it was all very cinematic and very... Uh, mm, yes. I thought that there was a lot going on. Mm-hmm. Say more about that. So we hear more about poor Oren and his inability to, uh, as he said, they say, Oren can only give and not receive pleasure. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. although after his sexual encounters, he, he always feels contempt for the whole situation. I'm filled with concern again. I worry. I worry about these incandenza kids all the time. Uh, <laughs> and I felt extreme worry for Oren again in this, um, answering his door at the hotel room. And I mean, from the moment that he says that he looks through the peephole and there's no, he doesn't see anybody, we know immediately who's at the door, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Someone in a wheelchair has to be at mm -hmm. the door. Mm -hmm. And he's so not worried about who is there. And then there's the guy and the, the hand model is hiding under the covers on the bed. And then later we learn that. So he and he makes that reference to how he's he's kind of wondering about how long that's going to last, because he there's a reference to um, Mario's childhood when Oren learned just how long you could be under covers before you start to smother and thrash, mm -hmm. which was I thought another horrible little hint at the Oren Mario relationship. But then you learn that the, the hand model has her little O2 canister that was in her purse and she's breathing and clutching her little pistol <laughs> under the covers. And why is that? I was trying to figure that out too. Cause I, at first I Wouldn't thought she and the wheelchair assassin be in this together. That's what I, I thought. thought. So. But maybe isn't what Oren takes as a Swiss accent actually the well the Quebecy French. I, I think one is, thing that we often lose sight of here is that the AFR, the wheelchair assassins, are like one small splinter group within the Quebec separatists, and so the Swiss hand model could be from Quebec. I think that she still is, but she might be from some other separatist or a arrival group or the the bigger umbrella group of Quebec separatists. I forget what they're called. Yeah. I yeah, do I like, do forget that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, whether I I, whether or together. not, I I don't know that the that the wheelchair assassin, the survey taker, and the, and the hand model are on opposite sides, but it's entirely believable to me that they might not have coordinated their spying. <laughs> okay, I can I can buy that. I guess. I kept wondering if they if they really just want information from Oren or if they mean him harm. I really think they just want information because why would they mean him harm? You know, like the AFR well, isn't in the business. Why they mean anyone harm? Well, but the AFR isn't in the business of like picking specific Americans who don't have any connection to Quebec and murdering them specifically. Like they do these 
broad attacks. But if they believe that Oren has information that is pertinent to their cause, then why then would they, they kill might him? Feel the need? Well, why did they kill the joke shop brothers? Because they learned they felt they like wanted... they like well because I think they that, didn't they suspect that the Antitois had the entertainment? Yeah. Well, and mm-hmm. and they we don't think that. I mean, don't we assume that the questioning is leading to that with Oren? Isn't that what all everyone's questioning is about, it seems? Like, to get more information about the entertainment? Or is that yeah. not true? Yeah, I think, think? That, I think that's probably true. And if they think that he has inside information about it, depending on what information he has, wouldn't, couldn't they be, see that as some kind of a threat that he could reveal it to others that would put their cause at risk. Maybe. I don't know. It just seems like dangerous information to have. I keep waiting for Oren to blab something that uh, maybe he's safe until they get the information that they need or want and think that he has. But once he, once he shares it, then he's of no real use to them anymore and mm. is perhaps a problem for them. That's possible. I, I could see that. I don't know that he's savvy enough to pick up on right. that, though. Right. Yeah. Right. That's why I worry about him, because he could so easily just blunder into sharing, like, really <laughs> pertinent information that then puts him at risk because he shared it. Yeah. Like, he wouldn't even realize. I have, if I can say a controversial thing, I, okay. have, a, mm-hmm. I have a real hard time caring whether Oren lives or dies. I think I think I think Oren's a bad person. There's very he has very few redeeming qualities. There's reasons that he's a bad person that aren't necessarily his fault, but it doesn't make him a like the fact that it's not his fault doesn't make him a good person who I care about. That's fair. I yeah. don't disagree fair, with but you, I... but I don't really want to see anybody die. Sure, I but like, it's, not a book the hands of the it's a book where a lot of people die. Assessment. Like if the, it, it, I'd, I'd rather Oren die than somebody that I care about. That's fair. I, I, I don't know if I agree with, I feel like Oren <laughs> is a pathetic. Uh, uh, oh, he's very uh, hurt. Like, like the, re- the reason a, he's like such he a bad. He was a real casualty in his family and that, that I, I don't see him as being like irredeemable somehow. I know I, I don't like think I don't think he's irredeemable. I just think really it's unlikely that issues. he could be redeemed. Mm. I feel like he has so many unresolved issues that yes, and he has no desire to resolve any of those issues. <laughs> right. I'm not, I'm not sure that's true. I don't know. He's having I, casual I sex know. with married women with has, small has children. He, has Pretty. he done anything to us to indicate a desire to resolve those issues? Well, like he's called, he calls Hal sometimes. Just because you have the desire That's doesn't true. mean that you have the ability. That's true. Right. To That's feel true. like it's, I mean, he may have the desire to resolve the issues, but feel like there's no way to do it. Uh, that real hopeless, despairing kind of, he's such a kind of despairing figure i yeah because i'm not sure even that so his subjects that (laughs) that he uses and tosses aside i'm not sure i'm not sure that any of them have higher expectations of him than that either so i'm not sure that like he's tricking people He's not being no. sincere, and he can't express his feelings. No, but, but he, I, he did. He did physically torture his younger brother for the entire time that they knew each other. 
he did, but and and kind of it seems kind of but he thinks was a back kid fondly too, on those memories, or or at least doesn't seem to regret them in any way. Right. But I feel like there's so much we don't know about that, about those their childhood years and what messed them up so badly. And so, yes, Mario was the innocent victim in these incidents, and it was horrible. But Oren was also a victim. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I have mixed feelings about Oren. I guess I don't really, I don't like him as much as I like Hal and... Mario, but I don't yeah. like. I I don't necessarily see him as unredeemable. Well, like, I don't. I don't think I anyone like in the book could, is irredeemable. Well, maybe except Lentz. Sorry, I just had to throw that out there. At, at least Lentz is in a recovery program. Like, say what you will about oh. his his failures to to recover, but at least he's in a halfway house. Like oh, Oren, Oren's doing hiding. nothing to ad- address his out. various addictions and dependencies. He's feeding them. I guess. He wakes guess. up every day and he says, this is fine. <laughs> well, I'll agree yeah. to disagree about Oren. I, I don't see him as such a bad guy as some of the other, some of the other characters. I also really, I really like, I really like when the survey starts. I like the mm-hmm. comment about, and I guess one of the things that I like about Oren is when this guy in the wheelchair comes to the door and starts asking him questions. I find it kind of endearing that he really tries to answer. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like he, he really mm. thinks about it. He really sincerely tries to answer the question where I would slam the door in the guy's face. Right. I would say, I don't have time right now. And I would shut the door and walk mm-hmm. away. Um, and maybe that just shows how callous Oren is that he's leaving the, the, well, I His do current, think that's uh, part of it. I do think that it's like it's a way blankets, he can but... express some level of contempt with her without like actually expressing right. it, you know? Oh, God, right. I didn't even think of that. Right. That's probably true. But I do like his really sincere attempt. And I love the comment of that he's standing there and he kind of looks up at the ceiling, right? Yeah. And it says, as if memories were always lighter than air. Ooh, like yeah. he's looking up for his memory. Yeah. I really like that. I probably do that, too. You know, if you ask somebody to think about, you know, to recall something from their past and something that they really have to think about and kind of sort through, I think I probably look up. Mm-hmm. So I like mm-hmm. to think of the, you know, of the memories floating around up above my head somewhere, mm-hmm. just a little bit out of reach, kind of teasing. One really odd detail about this, the things that he misses, one of the things he misses is automatic doors. I know. I wondered about that, too. What happened to the automatic doors? Where did they go? He Mm. even asks, where did those doors go? (laughs) Why don't they have them? (laughs) Why don't they have them? I I really enjoyed uh, his list of things that he misses. Mm -hmm. Partly because I'm old. These would be things, a lot of these are things that you guys wouldn't even, you wouldn't know. They wouldn't be part Mm -hmm. of your memory. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure why he remembers them. Well, I think well, I he guess, he would have been real young when like been... But also he so he specifically mentions Indian chiefs crying at litter. Uh and he's of course talking about the infamous crying Indian anti-littering ad campaign. Right, right. Uh he also he talks about the the late night anthems and fighter jets and flag images and the and mm-hmm. the test signs cuz cuz 
back in the day, TV stations went off the air right. at night. Right. And those would be the last things that would happen before you just got the test pattern. And they would talk about it being told how many megahertz something is broadcast at. It would always have that announcement about there are megahertz broadcasting at blah, 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 megahertz. Mm-hmm. Uh, they really hadn't thought about those things for a while. Uh, he talked about that he missed things being filmed before live, being told that something is filmed before a live studio audience. He talked about missing the commercials that are louder than programs. Oh, I hate uh, those. Mm-hmm. And then say like order before midnight or mm-hmm. save up to 50% uh, missed sneering at something that you love. Like I highlighted the, that the too. The stupid that, that programs, is like... Like, the, like the stupid programs that we'd watch and we'd watch them on rerun. Yeah. And you'd laugh about them, but you love to, you watched them because you wanted to, you know, it said, and the commercials, you'd laugh about some of the stupid commercials and, but yet when you'd see them, you'd like sing along with their little ditties and, <laughs> and the, the old boxy cathode ray TVs whose reception was sensitive to airplanes. And then just talking about uh, the summer reruns, he actually was saying something that, that I complain about too, a lot. Uh, which is that we live in an era when we have, it seems, unlimited choices about every single thing. And it it flows over into like, as an educator too, like school choice. Everyone needs to have choice. You need to have choice, 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 choice. And choice becomes the thing rather than like excellence in all, or right. excellence for all, or opportunity for all. It's like, the choice becomes the thing. The surveyor says, well, you can watch an entertainment cartridge as often as you want, right? You can, it's like you have unlimited reruns available to you. Mm-hmm. And Oren says, well, but that's different because the, the summer reruns or the reruns that are hastily inserted during writers or actors strikes, you don't have control over that. You turn on the TV at the time that your show is on and oh, look, there's a rerun. And you watch it. So it's not like you're choosing to watch a rerun. You've cho- mm-hmm. You watch the show. And so if they, if they show a rerun, you watch it. And he says that's different, that you can rewatch the, the TP cassettes. It's not the mm-hmm. same. The choice, see, it ruins it somehow. With television, you were subjected to repetition. The familiarity was inflicted. Different now. Mm-hmm. I had a thought when he was reflecting on all these things that he missed mm-hmm. um, about TV and and broadcast TV specifically. Do you think that's why Mario has been so taken and loves listening to Madame Psychosis? Hmm. I, don't I mean, know. it's certainly I don't know. It's yeah. programming. The, the program, the the live programming right. on this little radio obscure radio station we don't really know if this is not necessarily a typical kind of thing to have these live broadcasts we don't really know that we know that this is an obscure little station that yeah i mean uh, i think with mario's obsession with madam psychosis it's more about the obscurity whereas i think with Warren mm-hmm. talking about tv it's about the ubiquity like they're almost okay. almost different ends Ooh. of the spectrum. Okay. Like, because right. everyone knows 
Samantha, Sam and Diane, Gilligan, everyone right. knows those people. Right. Whereas I, I right. think the thing that Mario likes about Madame Psychosis is that nobody knows Madame Psychosis except for like a select few. And when or you bump into someone, that... it's yeah, it's like a it's like a secret fellowship or something. Yeah, mm -hmm. I could see that. That definitely would explain why he stands outside of Ennett House and is so delighted that somebody was listening to right. a right. tape. Right. Yeah, Even I'm, though it was maybe probably Joel. In retrospect, thinking more about that, I it kind of <laughs> surprises me that he never thought to tape the broadcasts. Don't we hear about why he doesn't? Do we? I missed that. Or did, or maybe he just says, I can't believe, or like in his head in the narration, uh, it had never occurred to Mario to tape the remember, you know? Yeah, I don't know. He, he doesn't seem to have a philosophical problem with listening to sense, like tapes as right. opposed in to that live sense, broadcasts. It's kind of like Oren and his broadcast TV, though. It's like you just count on it to always be there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Even though you have no real reason to believe that it will always be there, especially a program like Madam Psychosis that's so dependent on the the star, the mm -hmm. person who's doing it, you know, if she stops doing it, then it's not going to happen. Yeah. Although interesting that the studio, the radio studio doesn't, they didn't play reruns of her, did they? Did they not have taped? Yeah, that is interesting. I wonder if that was in her contract. Do you think they'd tape there? That, that Maybe. They couldn't tape. I bet. Because yeah. that's a little weird, too, that they wouldn't, when she was off the air and they're not, it's not clear that they know that, that well, that any of us know whether she's just on hiatus mm -hmm. in recovery or whether, and she's planning to go back or whether she's planning to never go back. We don't really know that, but uh, they've been struggling to fill the time slot and you'd think, huh, wouldn't you think they'd play old, go back to the beginning and play some old episodes yeah mm -hmm. do we think the wheelchair assassin is there to kill him right now no i well, think i'm I, wondering why is he what's well, he after I think, though but but the wheelchair assassins like if they want to kill somebody they just kill him what right you know right so i really think well, that he's but his there questioning as, is not very pointed no and i don't understand whether it's uh, you, it could be just an excuse to kind of case his hotel room that he's in and and see what's going on in there um, or like or see the layout if, of the place. Or if the hand model is indeed working for a slightly a different faction, is mm -hmm. it like a statement to her? It could that be. We know I could you're see here. That. I could uh, see that. You're not tricking us. We're here, too. And we know you're here. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a lot of that complex, subtle, like, back and forth that's happening with all these different intelligence organizations throughout the book. So does Oren reveal the, the hand model? No. It says he talks about the wheelchair assassin's eyes and the Swiss mm -hmm. accent and the absence of the signature ruse, the subject's patience with the weight... Oh, she didn't gasp when Oren pulled... I was trying no. to figure out who... The, no, and so that's she also... she didn't gasp when he pulled the covers abruptly back later. That's later, yeah. She sneezes. Right. The man had looked up at Oren and flicked his eyes slightly past him at the room behind. Right. 
he clearly knows that somebody's there, and, and I suspect that he knows that, and, like, the identity of the Swiss hand model and who sent her. Right, and it says Oren was meant to see the glance past him. Right. Mm-hmm. So he says he'll be back, right? He does, yeah. He'll be back to continue the survey. Mm-hmm. It is also kind of pathetic that Oren is assuming that the guy the guy is a football groupie who's there to get his find a way to get right. his signature, his autograph. Right. And he's even like he continues to believe this even as the ruse continues longer and longer. Right. And he's sort right. of puzzled then when he doesn't ask him for his he signature. He doesn't have to sign anything. Yeah. Right. And is this wheelchair is he somebody that we've met before? That's what I wonder. I doubt it. He's yeah, I don't know. That... We've never we've they described only, him. We've only met Marat. Well, and the, the we've people met who the killed, ones killed the, the antitrust. Oh, shoot, yeah. But that's, that's right. I, I can't imagine they're the same person. Like, don't you think that they have sort of different regions that they're stationed well, in? Well, that would be the, isn't that the same region? Where no. did the, the antitrust brothers where was are the in jokes? Boston? Oren's out west. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, Oren's in um, Arizona. Right. Okay. I would just like to say on Oren's behalf again, mm-hmm. his response to this guy in the wheelchair who he, he thinks is just trying to trick him into giving an autograph, right? Mm-hmm. He's awfully kind to him. It seems condescending to me. It does, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. He doesn't, I don't think he thinks he's being condescending, but he definitely no. is. Yeah. It's like, oh, but he how could cute. slam the door this in his face. Yeah, I guess. This shy little fan. Yeah, let me yeah. pat you on your bald head. On your bald little head. Yeah. Yep. Okay. I get it. You don't like Oren. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm done with Oren. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So so now we're back at Ennett House and it's almost midnight. Oh my god. Oh my gosh. <laughs> there's so there's there's Agreed. so much that happens here. Oh my here. gosh. It's such mm-hmm. a like Don Gately's situation here is so stressful even before the incident happens. Again, yeah. this sounds exactly like my job. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I thought about your comment about that when I was reading this. This yeah. Trying to oversee people that you are supposed to have some control over, but honestly, the control is more theoretical than actual. Yeah. <laughs> somehow. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like your performance of your job, your ability to perform your job is based on somehow having them be somewhat cooperative. <laughs> and right. there's no reason ever to expect that they will be necessarily. Right. Mm-hmm. Even even if people like you, which in Don Gately's case we know is true, that they tend they generally like him, and I'm sure in Brianna's case too. I mean, what's not to like about her? Mm-hmm. What's not to like about her? But even though they like you, there's right. still no reason to expect that they will be cooperative and let you be able to do your job the way the handbook tells you you're supposed to do it. Yeah. yeah. But this also reminded me a lot of winter in Milwaukee. <laughs> uh, and alternate side parking for snow. I love the description of the Boston <laughs> PD's revenue gaining gathering parking scam. Yep. It's such a funny setup. I mean, when you think about the whole city having to turn out at midnight to move their cars. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's midnight. Right. It's not 
6 p.m. or something, like mm-hmm. when people get home from work. Or it's not like there's a grace period of an hour when cars have to shift. It's not like that. It's like yeah. right now yeah. at midnight, we can start ticketing and towing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which means everyone with a car in the city has to be out in their car moving it. Anyone with a car in the city who has to park on the street, which is a lot of people. <laughs> and, and I like their description of like ambulances and, as they said, paddy wagons circle. And they get lots of business because there's all these fights over altercations over the parking spots. And <laughs> mm-hmm. Don Gately's situation is anything but funny. But the whole setup is really funny. Yeah. It's also like it, it. I found it kind of stressful to read because the paragraphs are so long, and yes. and it yeah. really like indulges in illustrating the stress that Don is feeling in absolute, right. almost painful detail. But so we've got. I guess there's a few sort of plot things that we can talk about here. Bruce Green gets back late and. Right. Because of that, and he has Don to do a urine to test. What and, to do. Right. Yeah. But but right. he seems like like he doesn't even care that that he's had this uh, full house restriction. And no, he just feels really depressed and, and under pressure. Mm-hmm. Kind of, and like, yeah. Mm-hmm. In fact, so Gately's worried about him because yeah. he's so blah. Right. Mm-hmm. This isn't really a plot piece i guess i guess this is part of just the description of the frustration but on six page 604 i found it so um it's so much like pandemic response it like perfectly described you know people are get frustrated with the college age crowd being rather haphazard about following guidelines for pandemic safety right Mm -hmm. and it talks about people of a certain age and level of life, like life experience, believe they're immortal. Yes. College students and alcoholics, addicts are the worst. They deep down believe they're exempt from the laws of physics and statistics that ironly govern everybody else. They'll piss and moan your ear off if somebody else fucks with the rules, but they don't deep down see themselves subject to them, the same rules, and they're constitutionally unable to learn from anybody else's experience. Yeah. Uh, it's like a kind the, of idolatry the, I, of uniqueness that the yeah. only way your addict ever learns anything is the hard way. Like you always assume that it won't happen to you, which I mean, he was talking about your car getting towed. Right. But mm. but it was so such a parallel to people's COVID-19 response, that kind of idolatry yeah. of uniqueness. Yeah. Like, But it won't happen to me. Sorry to jump in there with that, because you were talking about things that were happening, actually happening, like like Bruce Green coming in late. Yeah, Lens isn't and late. Somebody's he get, he missing, gets there. Right? Lens gets there right as he's locking up. There is somebody else. Oh, right. there's a there's a female Amy, resident. Somebody or a newer one that doesn't show up at all. Right. right? And, oh yeah. And, yeah. And so or Gately, she comes in twenty minutes late or something. No, no, no. There's, there's. Some, she, I think no, that's. Oh, they. He gets. He. He's going to get her. He does get her stuff and puts it outside yeah, the door. Yeah, because I think Pat said to. it's said it's his call whether to right. whether to do like an immediate kickout of somebody who right who misses curfew. Um, and I don't remember if he actually completed that or if he got sidetracked by the car 
reparking. Yeah, I don't remember that either. I think he I did. I think he does, yeah. Sets all of her stuff out on the... Mm-hmm. Yeah, with a, yeah. With a note Irish wishing luggage. her the best. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. We're not angry. We're just, it's just mm-hmm. disappointed. You can't be here. Mm-hmm. Disappointed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So Gately is like trying to rouse people and corral people to get them to move their cars. <laughs> I bet Brianna can picture this. Ugh. I thought this was, mm-hmm. yeah, trying to get people together. And you get the, the ones that all that come pretty promptly. But then, mm-hmm. but then it takes so long to get the stragglers that the first ones start wandering off. Yep. It's kind of like preschool, too. Mm-hmm. And so he feels that there's more pressure there because he knows he has to be quick getting the stragglers. Right. I also liked his reasoning for spending so much time on the stragglers. You know, other staffers there at Ennett House say that. Yeah, you should just, should let, just let, let them, get them go. They should let them. That, that's the only way they'll ever learn. But the reason Don Gately goes to get them is because when they when they. Uh, Having them learn from their mistake, he always suffers too. That he mm-hmm. suffers greatly right. if they get their cars towed, because then, then he has to like call their bosses and make excuses without saying anything about them being at a uh, halfway house, because that would like violate their HIPAA yeah. <laughs> rights. And mm-hmm. and then he has to figure out how to get them to the towing yard to pick up their cars because it's in such a bad part of the city that the taxi drivers won't, don't want to take anybody out there because mm-hmm. they're afraid they'll get mugged. And so, so it's just one big hassle after another for Don Gately if they, if this happens. So really he should just let them learn from their mistakes, but he can't because right. he, he can't let go of how hard it's going to be for him the next day. Well, yeah. Why would you put yourself through the administrative right. headache? Right. I'm with Don. Oh, yeah, I am me too. too. No, I'm, I, I am with him, too. Because I think it's often true that the, that the, like, the punishment is supposed to, the punishment is supposed to affect the, the one who's sloughing off and not doing what they need to do. Uh, mm-hmm. But they still end up somehow being the victim in the end. And the person that really suffers is the guy that was, that's in charge that night. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they still don't have to really figure it. They don't have to call their boss. They don't have to figure out how to get out to the towing yard. Although, honestly, if I were Don Gately, I would, I would just, just tell him I would just wash my hands of the whole well, thing. Right. I would have a sheet and I would say, OK, these are all the things that you need to do to get your car back. And if uh-huh. they don't do it, then they don't get their car back. Right. And they mm-hmm. and they lose their job because they can't get to their job anymore. And so then they get dumped out of Ennett House because they're not fulfilling their contract. Right. So right. they should, they're and adults, they should understand performance. that. In his performance review, he gets knocked down because he's got all these people that aren't being successful on his watch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's a tough, it's a tough call. I mean, honestly, the most sane thing would be for Pat M to say, you can't have your car here. Yeah. Why don't they just say that? You well, why don't they move it before to... curfew? Right. right. And the the darn uh, the other the other buildings there in the complex that won't let them park in the off street parking, which would 
also resolve the whole thing and they don't want them there because they have crappy cars and it looks bad. They don't want to see them in their parking lot, mm-hmm. right? Isn't that true? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They don't like those junky cars in their parking lot when they come to work in the morning. There's also a word that I liked. Mm-hmm. He's talking, mm-hmm. it's when he's talking about, I think it's right there where he's talking about why he doesn't, why he doesn't just let them learn the hard way. And But there's something about... He talks about the his Gately's staff obliette in the basement. Mm. I looked up obliette. It's a, a secret dungeon with access only through a trapdoor in its ceiling. It's describing uh-huh. his room. Mm-hmm. His room in the basement. Mm-hmm. They don't mean that literally, right? Well, he's not no. living down there. Yeah. But it's yeah, French dungeon. Uh, yeah. It comes from the word oublier, which means to forget. Hmm. Hmm. Yep, you just put somebody it's down there and word. forget about him. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> then we've got, what's his name? Who's the guy with the diverticulitis? We've got Glenn, that going on Dooney too, which is, which is really stressing Don Gately out because he says that uh, yeah, they, th- they think has he's been sick before, but like he looks re- he looks terrible. Yeah, I think yeah, they, Don Gately is afraid he could die. Yeah, he he is because he says they they all think that he's maybe kind of been hamming it up or even faking it just right. to because he lost a job recently, I think, or right. something. Um, right. But yeah, no, he's like we In need a to bad ta- way. we might we might need to take this guy to the hospital. So he has a lot going on all at the same time. He's got a missing. A missing resident yeah. who didn't show up. Oh, and also got, he, he he can tell just at a glance that Lens is high right now. Right. He knows it right away. Mm-hmm. Immediately. Uh, and knows that he should do a urine test on him right away. Mm-hmm. But he's losing his people down at the door. Right. Have I said how much I hate Lens? Oh, yes. He's very bad. He's mm-hmm. awful. He's, yeah. 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 So Gately's up with Glenn trying to get his like permission and his keys so that right. Bruce Green can mm-hmm. move his car. Don't you love the way that the hand their handbook, their staff handbooks, uh, really specifies all these little details? Like mm-hmm. if somebody can't move their car, then you have to get permission. Yeah, and you have to assume to that like and... every single one of these rules and procedures is in place because something bad happened. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. These definitely seem like reactionary policies. Mm-hmm. And and uh, uh, Don Gately can't just move the car because he doesn't have a driver, even though Pat lets him right. drive her fancy car out for errands. Right. When yeah, there's a little a logical inconsistency but, there that I'm not yeah. sure I understand. But yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. But probably because he would be driving somebody else's car. Like, I guess, yeah. Yeah, but like, then he, he drives would have to tell them. But she knows he doesn't but, have a driver's license. So it's like her she? personal decision to. Right. So yeah. he would have to reveal to the others that he doesn't have a driver's license, if I suppose. If, well, he, he says it's, it's kind of humiliating that. because that's what it. Like when he has to ask somebody else to move the car, that's right. an admission of that. So they know that he doesn't have a driver. Yeah, I'm so sure it's a li- like an insurance liability thing, and yeah, 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 that comes up a lot. The insurance liability issue. So then Bruce Green is suddenly out of his stupor and urgently summons 
gateway right. down to the street, and there are the Canadians. Three of them. Three of them. And cars. This is also very cinematic. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. The cars mm-hmm. all parked are all stopped at weird angles on the street, and mayhem breaking out. Mm-hmm. And Gately has this weird, like, <laughs> like centered, really hyper centered uh, response to it. Like, which she's again not... feels exactly like a student affairs <laughs> professional in the midst of a crisis. Yes. Right. Like you, you have to you let could almost go call, of your you could, own anxieties. You could and... almost call what he feels a kind of jolly calm. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Because you always, in the back of your mind, realize that something, not this particular something, but something similar could happen at any time, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's going to be trouble sometimes. And so when it comes, it's like, ah, yes, here's the trouble. <laughs> yeah, in fact, it even sounds like he's a little relieved when he sees the the one with the gun because he's like, well, now it, this is just has to play itself out inevitably. And all the other administrative problems that I was having are so much less important. Right. Now I can really focus. This is where my yeah. attention is going to have to be. Yeah. And And I don't really have a choice. It's not like I can either step in and handle it or leave. I have to step in. It's mm-hmm. my job. Right. I can't just walk away. I really love Gately in this moment. I do too. I, do too. I think he handles yeah. it like, like things do not go great, but he handles it exactly the way he should. Like he even has at, at the beginning, he has the presence of mind to think about how like it's a little unnerving to him that he feels so calm and relaxed in this right. moment. Like he wishes right. that, that he wasn't so comfortable. Right. There's something about uh, somebody who's had a really hard time, which obviously Gately has been through really hard times, mm-hmm. really lows that, that waiting for the shoe to drop and there's a lot of stress involved with waiting for the shoe to drop. Like you're always expecting the thing to happen mm-hmm. that you deserve because of, of whatever you've done. And there is something like that makes you take a breath and say, okay, here it is. Here's the thing. Mm-hmm. And it's almost a relief that the thing is happening, even if it's really bad, because you can stop wondering what the thing is going to be now. It's there in front of you. Yeah. And even if it seems rather impossible, uh, it is fairly clear what it is. Mm-hmm. So yeah. these Canadians are chasing Lens around their car. Right. There's another slapstick moment, like mm-hmm. bowing to Vinny and his comments about slapstick. <laughs> the, mm-hmm. the idiots, both, there's two of them, and they're both mm-hmm. running in the same direction after Lens instead of, as Gately says, why don't they if they went different directions, they'd have him in an instant, right? right. There's two of them. Right. But they're right. not. Yeah. They're just chasing like cartoon characters around and around. Yeah, just, yeah, around and around. So then we get into this violent altercation that's described in like minute detail. Um, yeah, pretty graphic. Yeah. And it's like, this is another, like talking about cinematic, like the way this is described, it almost feels like a line by line breakdown of how you would write a fight scene in a script. Um, mm, right. So I don't, I mean, and that's like kind of the bulk of the rest of the reading is just like the, the, the beat by beat way that this fight unfolds. Is there 
particular stuff that we want to mention in here? I tell you what I thought. Do you want to hear what I thought? Yeah. You young people? Yeah. I was really taken with this chunk, how similar it was to the Eschaton debacle. Mm. Yeah. I felt like it was an adult version of the Eschaton debacle. So adult yeah. version, uh, disastrous injuries, in this case, death, perhaps. We assume, uh, some like, probably. Like unhelpful spectators. Mm-hmm. Also unhelpful spectators who were shouting stuff, but but basically unhelpful. Yeah. Uh, and this this like, the whole time it's happening, there's this like, dread of really heavy consequences being meted out by the administrators mm-hmm. in this case involving perhaps prison and right. you know i mean all kinds of bad things but also like your job at at Ennett house and that that you know there's going to be this is not going to just slide by obviously and being told by someone higher up uh, that you should have stopped this somehow. Somehow right. you should have been the one that stepped in and stopped it. And the whole question of where were the people that should have been noticing what was going on? In this case, it's the police. They keep saying, you know, normally the police are swarming up and down the street here, getting ready to ticket the, the cars that aren't moved. Uh, because probably it does, even with Don Gately's determination... Uh, he's not always the guy on duty when when this happens. And we know some of the staffers are like, let them learn from their mistakes. So it must be a great place to pick up some revenue, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, and they they make it sound like they're almost always there. Yeah. The police come down the street, but they do not show up. Just like at uh, ETA, some staff member should have been monitoring the Eschaton games because... They were pretty intense, and you'd think somebody would be assigned as, like, the sponsor. Mm-hmm. The only difference between the, well, not the only difference, but a difference between the Eschaton debacle and this particular debacle. Fracas. Uh, Lentz ruckus is that we have a heroic figure come riding in to bring order out of the chaos in this case. That is true. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we have, no we, have a couple, we have a couple in... heroic figures. I would say that, that Bruce Green is kind of a heroic figure here, too. He is kind of, yeah. Um, and even, even of. Nell Gunther, who, like, jump kicks the Canadian... Oh, true. Right. And oh, well, acci- accidentally and breaks Bruce Green's nose, but... Clinette and friend who are stomping on one of the uh, yeah. Canadians with their high heels. At a heels, certain this, point, it becomes murder, but... Ugly. Yeah, it does. <laughs> But they are trying to do something to protect mm-hmm. their friends. But Joelle is a very heroic figure in this scene. Yeah, she definitely climbing takes down charge. The, climbing down the tree from her upstairs room. We don't know why she doesn't just come down the stairs. That's true. And that run outside. Does seem, mm-hmm. That's a little surprising. And we don't know why she's in this room. Don Gately makes several comments about her not being in the five-person women's five-person room that she's not in her room when she's looking out the window i was trying to Uh, understand that but i think that maybe i could imagine her running to a different room to get a better view of what's going on yeah i suppose i mean it's possible there's some other more nefarious explanation too 
Well, I was thinking that the five-person room is maybe on the other side of the house. Yeah. Could be. But then why doesn't she run down the stairs? Why does she that That is odd. I hadn't tree, thought about that is... until you said it just now. Yeah. But so uh, that she doesn't lose sight of what's happening. Yeah, but she could get maybe. down a lot faster if she took the stairs right. instead of climbing the tree. I guess that's true. Right. Yeah. She could. Uh, it's more but then she really takes way. charge. She, she really... Does? She's like, no, we got to get, uh, we got to get Don Gately inside. He can't be out here when the police come. He can't go in the ambulance, in spite of the fact that he may be bleeding out. Right. From his from arm his, wound. his shoulder and his but leg. But she is applying pressure. So mm-hmm. she's applying, she's doing first aid and giving the orders about how to hoist him to his feet and where to take him. And there's this really vivid image of what it all looks like, the aftermath. And mm-hmm. it feels mm-hmm. a lot like the Eschaton. It does. Courtney. It also, like, the other thing that feels similar to Eschaton, and to, like, I was thinking about Eschaton as, like, um, a microcosm of the way that world wars start. Uh-huh. As this, like, buildup of tensions, this gradual right. buildup of tensions until something small happens, thing. and then there's this right. inevitable collapse of everything. Uh, and it feels right. like that's kind of the same thing that happens here. They talk about the, right. like, there's this kind of back and forth and people get very quiet. And then once the fight starts, it's all business. Right. I'd like to point out that one of the Canadians punches Don Gately in the head and breaks his hand. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. His big blocky head. Yeah. So this is definitely going to be... It's a big mess. And it, I think the other thing that reminds me of Eschaton is that you know that there's going to be horrible consequences from this event. Mm-hmm. And you, we now know that it could be 300 pages before we find out what that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. <laughs> I had a question and concern. Mm. Mm. Was Mario home by the time this thing happened? He certainly can't walk very fast. Mm. Do we know I don't what remember time? what time it was. I don't think it Wasn't was. Wasn't it right around curfew when he left? Oh, because he, he saw Gately sitting and... at the desk. Right. Mm-hmm. And people were coming back to the house. Let me look back and see if there's a time for that. Okay. I was um, a little worried about Mario and what Mario may have witnessed. I was relieved that he doesn't, didn't get scooped up in it, apparently. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't believe he did. There's no reason to believe that he did. But he may have, he may have seen things. I don't know. Because mm. how fast can he walk back up to... ETA, it's uphill, right? Although they say he does uphill better, right? Right. Uphill is easier than downhill for him. Yeah. Um, But still. Yeah, I don't see any specific mention of a time. Does it mention who's coming in? Well, no, it's after after 11 o'clock. It says people from the public can't be in there after 2300. So it's, it's less than an hour before this all happens. So he arrives there after 11 right and he hangs out by the window for quite for a, a while. while and then people start coming in so that's who, true who does it describe as coming in oh that's Mario a good question there? who helps him we don't know who helped who put his because weight in his backpack for know. him because he doesn't know oh, and i don't okay. think there's much description of them but isn't there talk about some of the people others come back though while he's standing there don't they a lot of people are appearing out of the dark mm-hmm. walking by to go in for the curfew mm-hmm so one young person that Mario's never seen helps him. Is the one helps who helped him. him. Yeah, we don't know who that is. 
but it wouldn't be lens or green because they're no it's older. probably that who's the new kid isn't there one one fairly new really young resident that we have heard about yeah yeah i forget his name but gately mentions him briefly yeah. Yeah. So I don't think that he's right there, but I would I could imagine him like overhearing some of this scuffle. He probably heard the gunshot. Yeah. Ironic because Mario is just has just been thinking about what a comfortable, warm feeling place. <laughs> right. Uh, and it house is. Right. That's that's what he's thinking about. How nice it is. You can go in there and just feel so comfortable in there. I really like the detail that Gately has always called the Big Dipper the big question mark. It is kind of too, it is. isn't it? I if might adopt that it, for myself. Right I like way. that. When it's, when it's turned the right way. Mm-hmm. And what else? It, it seems like there is a romance developing between Joelle and Gately. Definitely. Right. She's very tender toward him, and others are noticing it. Erdetti notices, other, yeah. Erdetti notices. Which... I feel like, although the tenderness is nice, uh, I feel some dread about that as well. Like that, right. that yeah. can't it doesn't possibly seem like end well. It's one of those, what would those two people see in each other? What well, would, not what even would, that. Like, I, I think that under different, if they met way, under like, different circumstances, it would be different. But they're both living in a halfway house together. Right. Right. I'm pretty sure although, that that's not allowed. It is absolutely not. True. But they haven't done anything, no, right? This no, point. no. But but uh, it's, I think it's uh, more about that, the like the the emotional attachment to each other that could cause right, problems for their right, recovery. Could cause trouble. Uh, but I have to say that uh, Joelle has been pretty much in a frozen state, right? She's been like she's been a wreck even since she's been at Ennett House. She hasn't. She has talked to Gately, but she hasn't really participated in things quite at the level that is expected, right? Which, yeah, she really, she is really like focused and on task and like really present in the moment when she mm -hmm. comes down to respond to this incident. It seemed, it seemed like her emotional state. Actually, that she kind of responded the same way Don Gately did, from her kind of despairing depression, her her from this place where she's been, that that she has this moment of clarity and focus and lifts her out of her inability to function in the world, and moves her like here's what I have to do right now, kind of moment for her, just like it was for Gately. In a way. In fact, I was almost waiting for her to rip her veil off, like her veil to get caught in the tree or something when she was climbing down. Mm -hmm. <laughs> in fact, there's mention of like, is it Don Gately that's looking up at her from the ground, from, from the ground and can see just under the edge of her veil that she has like a normal chin or something, mm -hmm. a normal mm -hmm. neck and chin or something. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. More dread. What's going to happen? Yep. I'm still worried about what's happening to all those kids from the Eschaton event. And now we have this. Will Gately even live? Right. Why and yeah, why? Yeah. And why know. will he? How will he survive this gunshot wound that is apparently quite serious? And 
what will happen to him and his role there at Ennett House, and if he can't stay there, then what happens? And if anyone deserved to die in this whole thing, it was Lentz. And why is he still running about yipping and yeah. yapping? The thing I find thing most frustrating mm-hmm. about this is that Lentz will absolutely make himself out to be the hero of this situation and will yes, learn will. nothing mm-hmm. from anything that right. has happened. Yeah, that sounds about right. tell, Who tells uh, Gately, one of his, as he's blathering on as, as uh, Gately's hauling him down to get his car moved, right? He, talking about the finger that got cut off and and regentrified regentrified mm-hmm. his finger regentrified <laughs> <laughs> and Bruce Green knows Bruce Green knows that knows why these guys came after him right yep in fact he's the only one that knows the only one besides Lenz who knows yeah why the Canadians came after him but he's claiming that he didn't do what they said he did yeah. yeah, probably. I this do. is yeah. all but just Bruce a Bruce Green knows. Right. But Bruce Green's not going to tell anyone. And yet he called anyone. for help. He called Gately to come help, though. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, but because then there Bruce were a lot of people out there. Decent guy. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of other innocent bystanders out there when this was all going, yeah. going down. The other thing is that Don Gately recognizes Joelle as Madame Psychosis. Oh, which is, right. Oh, yeah. Right, right, maybe not a right. huge deal. Wait, is it big? I don't know that it's Did big. Did he listen to her? He must Did have. He, I don't know. So he must have. He says, he says something about how there are, there are guys there at the house who, who really like her show. Oh. Mm-hmm. But it, does, yeah, it doesn't I, I sound think, like um, he listened to her a lot. Right. And I think somebody recognizing uh, Joel as Madame Psychosis is pretty big. Yeah. I agree. Because no, not even Mario has put that together. Mm-hmm. And he's such an avid fan of Madame Psychosis, and he is one of the few people that would really have known Joel, too. And he hasn't put it together, not mm-hmm. consciously. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have an email address now. Um, so if you want to get in touch with us for any reason, you can send us a message at smallcleverpod at gmail.com. We also are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at Small Clever Pod. Uh, there's nothing on any of those places yet, but maybe someday. You should send us pictures of any cats you've adopted since you began listening to send this us, podcast. Here's what we should do. On Instagram, send us pictures of your pet with your copy of Infinite Jest. Ooh. Ooh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you could also email it to us if you don't have an yeah, Instagram. Or email or Twitter, whatever you want to do. Yeah. We want to see your dog or cat or turtle or guinea pig, rabbit, raccoon. guinea pig, anything else, raccoon. Yeah. I want to see a copy of Infinite Just surrounded by raccoons. That's what I want. That mm-hmm. would be super cool. Um, yeah, does, I would like to see that too. Does anyone have anything they'd like to announce or plug? By the time you're listening to this, I'm going to have a new movie out. Um, That's yeah. exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So you can catch that on my Vimeo page, uh, which is vimeo.com slash henceforth. Ooh. And while you're there, you can also uh, check out a bunch of my other movies. Excellent. That's very exciting. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. And yeah. Um, besides that, uh, as always, you can check out me and my paintings on Instagram at CardboardVV. Uh, my website is agingrick.com, and I'm also on Instagram at coffeestopfix. 
My website is briannacratz.com and I have some things on there and need to add more. <laughs> and I am old and I don't have a website. I just have my house where I live. <laughs> must be nice. <laughs> yeah, it must be real nice. Uh, yeah, so we all plugged our websites and my mom plugged her house. We were just talking, I was just talking to Brianna the other day about how at the end when we plug things, you always plug something very abstract and esoteric. Um, <laughs> like a house? A house, yes. Like I like the idea of, of plugging a house. You know, just get it out there, get its name out there, generate a little buzz. Right. Yeah. Build the brand of your house. My house. I have I have a house. I I say go uh adopt feral cats if you can. Mm -hmm. uh, Give those feral cats some work mm -hmm. to do. Yeah. 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 Find yeah. ways to befriend them too. You know, they don't have to be <laughs> purely non-social feral cats. They can live right. on your your vast land holdings and catch mice for you. And then when you come to visit, they can come up and rub against your leg and you can pat them on the top yes. of the head. Yeah. Tell them good job. Next time, we'll be talking about pages 620 to 638. Our music is by Jonathan Rigby. You can listen to his podcast, The Land of Random on Spotify. Thanks for listening. And as for you, my black bug, my baby, the roachmobile, the Dunulator's wheels, his mobility, his exposed baby, his slice of the American pie. Simonize my baby when I'm gone, Don Dune. We should probably eat some squash, too. Oh, yeah, we have squash. You don't sound excited. Mm. We've had a lot of squash recently, but I can be excited about squash. Andrew, I like squash. It's fall. Yeah. Yeah. It's all that's in season. <laughs> it's all there is. It's all yeah. there is. Only it's all squash all the time. Mm-hmm.